little short-staffed this morning. A lot of folks are on vacation here and there and gone somewhere and not quite back or whatever it may be. And so we're a little short. But I'll tell you, these folks made up the gap, didn't they? They did a great job. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. Well, I'm glad you're here today to hear this message and to rejoice in all the other things that we're doing together today. I started out preaching this message for Christmas. And I decided in the early days that I would do it every other year. And then when I said that, I had a number of people tell me, you need to do this every year, Pastor. So I've just made this kind of tradition in our church. It's a a part of what we do for Christmas. I talk about the real Christmas tree, and I do that again this morning. I pray the Lord's anointing on it, and the truth of it will be a blessing to you. But I believe this truly is the Word of God. Now, Father, we come to you again, and we ask your favor and blessings, your power and anointing, upon everything that is said in this next short while, to preach your message and bring the Word of your truth. I ask God that you will move in a deliberate way in every heart and every life to make this message of your Word and your Savior very real to every one of us. Let us see its truth as it comes from God's Word. And we'll praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the very beginning, God set up trees in the Garden of Eden. He said to Adam and Eve, his creation, that they could eat of every fruitful tree in the garden. The only thing prohibited them was they were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were innocent. They didn't know good from evil. They did not know that evil existed in the world. And if they had followed the command of God, they never would have known it. But they broke that word. It's interesting that God put another tree, a particular tree, in the garden. Nearby the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was the tree of life. This is what the scripture says. But God had said, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then in the ninth verse, that's Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Back in the ninth verse, the scripture tells us that he put a tree of life beside the tree of knowledge. I wonder what would have happened And I've thought about it many times. If Adam and Eve had chosen to eat from the tree of life instead of to eat from the tree of knowledge. Eating of that tree was a disobedience to God. And it violated God's word. And violated the covenant that God had made with them. There was punishment to come upon them because of it. And God made that very clear. He warned them long before they ever ate of the fruit of that tree that the consequences would be death. Now, they didn't instantly die physically, but they did instantly die spiritually. It came to the place that they knew they were lost. They were naked, physically naked and spiritually naked. And they realized that when the knowledge of that tree came through to them, as God said it would. Later on, to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve, God took a lamb skin and made garments
garments out of those skins to cover them. They have tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. But God said, that's not satisfactory. You have to be covered with these skins. Why? Because there God began the trail of blood. The crimson thread that starts at that point in the Bible and comes all the way to the cross of Jesus Christ and continues on from that time as we learn, according to the New Testament, that without shedding of blood, the shedding of the blood of Christ, there is no remission for sins. And this is the very beginning of that great truth of God's Word. We know if they'd eaten of the tree of life, it would have been totally different. Because God does not want to visit death upon His people. God wants to give life to His people. That's why He made a way for us to escape the penalty of death through Jesus Christ. Where now sin and Satan's minions lead us to death. Jesus Christ Our Lord and Savior leads us to life. And that's the total difference. The message of Jesus is a message of life, of victory, of power, of overcoming, of grace and glory, of uplift, and the message of heaven. So it's a wonderful message that God gives us in His Word, and we do not want to miss that in any way. The mistake is trying to gain eternal life on a path forbidden by God. Adam and Eve thought they would make them better people, apparently, in their misunderstanding and in the deceit. They thought it would make them better people to know more and to have the knowledge of good and evil. However, all it did was prepare them for a life of destruction until Jesus Christ came to save all the world and make his blood an efficacy of offering on the cross and offering on the altar of God for salvation. And that's the message of the Word of God. And these trees started out in the very beginning. Adam and Eve were saying, I want to be on my own. I want to be my own God. And that never works. Still a plan for people today, but it never works. Because that's a plan of disobedience. It's a plan of the denial of God's sovereignty. It's a plan of rebellion. It isn't unusual that one would want to set up his own plan of salvation. If I will just do this, I'll achieve salvation. If I'm a good person, if I'm a moral person, if I treat other people right, if I do nice things, if I help people, if I'm a good person, that's all I need. But the Bible contradicts that. The Bible says that way is the way of the knowledge of good and evil. The way of God is the way of the tree of life. Because that tree of life is a message of Jesus Christ, the source of life. That's the message that Jesus is giving when he says in the New Testament to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's a message that the world finds it difficult to comprehend, and a very difficult message for them to comprehend. Yet that's what Jesus said. The tree of life is confirmed over and over in the Bible. It's mentioned four times in the book of Psalms, again four times in the book of Revelation. And every time it's God's gift to us. The gift of life in the plan of God. The gift of life that God has planned for us. Not trying to achieve it on our own, but the gift of life that God has given to us. So in the beginning of the New Testament, we see a miraculous birth. The very beginning of that new covenant, that testimony of God with us, Jesus Christ is given a miraculous
first birth through a virgin. And that's the testimony of his humanity and the testimony of his deity. Jesus born of the virgin. Man and God. Necessarily so, so that he could offer the sacrifice for the sins of all the men of all the world. All the people of all the world, I should more accurately say. It's a testimony of his deity. And all of this birth of Jesus had miraculous signs around it. The birth of Jesus was, was actually covered with miracles. The first one being the conception that the angel promised Mary. That without knowing a man humanly, she would have the seed of life deposited in her by the Holy Spirit. That's where, when she was astounded at hearing that, the angel said, with God, all things are possible. And this is a part of our faith, that Jesus is actually born of the Virgin. And at that time, when he was born, after all the prophecies of all the Old Testament came to fulfillment on that night in Bethlehem, the Lord made it sure that others would know about it. There were angels over in the flock, keeping their flocks over the hills nearby. And those angels were resting in the evening after tending to their flock by night. And they heard a message in the sky. There was someone up there crying out a message to them. And they gave it their attention they, they, that there was an angel saying, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And they're astonished. Actually, the next thing to happen is a host of angels gather with him. And they all cry out, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to all men of goodwill. And when the angels saw that miraculous manifestation of the glory and the power of God in the sky, they were afraid. Oftentimes that's the first reaction. When you see the miraculous presence and power of God manifested, it's an awesome thing. And it was awesome to them. But they did believe. Something triggered it in their hearts that they believed. And one of them said, let's go into the Bethlehem and see this thing which the Lord has told us has come to pass. So in overcoming their fear, they went to Bethlehem. And they found, as the angel said they would, a baby in a manger, in a stable, because there was no room for them in the inn. So when they came there, they bowed down and they worshipped him. Now, how would people so unknowledgeable know that this baby was worthy of worship? The Spirit of God, the one who sent the angels, the one who gave them the revelation, revealed to them just as he has revealed it to most of you, that Jesus Christ is the virgin-born Son of God, and he came to die for the sins of the world, and then he did die for all the sins of the world. He made that very clear in their understanding. So when they got there, and they saw the babe, just as the angel had prophesied they would find him, they bowed down and worshipped the infant. It's astonishing. And then, another thing that makes it very clear of the miraculous surroundings of this event, were the, were, were the, the wise men, the magi we called them, who came from far in the east. We don't know what countries they came from, but they made a long trip journeying from their homeland to Bethlehem because they were following the miraculous star that God had planted in the skies as a sign to them, and they followed it all the way in a circuitous way that they finally wound up in Bethlehem where that baby was born. By the time they got there, they were in a house 
they still recognized that this was the virgin-born Son of God, the Lord of glory, and they bowed down and gave him the gifts that they had brought with them from afar, presented those gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that was the beginning of the life, and his life always connected to a tree. You know, think about this as far as Jesus being connected to a tree. He was lying in a manger. He was born. They wrapped him in warm clothing, and they laid him in a manger because they were in a stable. You know what a manger is. That's the trough that the animals feed from. That's the trough where the animals go up and get their hay and their grain, whatever's put out there for them to eat. It's a trough for angels to feed. But a wooden manger made for that purpose in the stable, and Jesus, firstborn, is laid in the product of a tree in a manger. Always, always with God, there's something about a tree that continues to occur through the Scriptures. And, and here again is the miraculous of the plan of God all coming together. So this tree that we look at today, this tree with all these lights on it, you see many of them everywhere. There's about three of them here. One out there, one here, another one somewhere around here. Maybe it's been moved. There are trees all around. You see them everywhere you go. And we think of that tree as just something to re- as, as celebrating Christmas, a time for celebrating Christmas. The truth of the matter is that this tree is not what Christmas is all about. This tree is just a symbol of our joy, our mirth, our happiness at, at Christmas time. But the reason for the joy, the reason for the mirth, the reason for the happiness is not the tree. It's the Savior whose birth we celebrate. It's the Savior that we've come to worship and adore. So this tree doesn't represent the true Christmas. This is a temporary, transient time of Christmas. Although it, is, although it represents joy to us, it represents celebration to us. It even represents giving to us. Because under this tree, we always put presents for everybody. It, it means giving. We use it and look at it as a symbol of giving. But the reason Christmas is about giving is because God is the greatest of all giver, and God has given the greatest of all gifts. His gift is the unspeakable gift. His gift is the one that does not stop, that does not end, that is not temporary, but is eternal. The Bible says that we're to thank God for his unspeakable gift. Paul wrote that to the Corinthians. Thank God for his unspeakable gift. And that gift, that unspeakable gift for us and for our lives is Jesus Christ. So the greatest gift of Christmas for anyone is the gift that God the Father gave us when he gave his only son to die on the cross to represent us under the curse of sin and to provide through that sacrifice a way for our salvation and a way for us to live for eternity. Praise God for that. This is what the Bible says about that unspeakable gift. First of all, the scripture says in Galatians that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Galatians 3.13. So life was put on 
truth, Jesus Christ. And that is the greatest gift to us that we can ever have. So when God gave Paul the words, he gave him powerful words, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. The world has received the gift that is beyond our ability to express. That's the King James Version, his unspeakable gift. The, the English Standard Version says it's an inexpressible gift. Another version says that it's an indescribable gift. And then one in more modern language says, and this is the way we would express it today, says it is a gift too wonderful for words. It is beyond our ability to express the magnitude of the glory in the gift of Jesus Christ to us. God gave his son for you, for your salvation, for you to have that gift forever. And his plan for you is to experience that by bringing Jesus Christ into your life and through that to have everlasting life. That is exactly what the real tree of Christmas represents. The real tree of Christmas is not this tree with the lights on it, showing us all different colors or whatever it may be. It isn't that. The real tree of Christmas is the one that is so closely attached to Jesus that we think of it always and never forget it, as we should keep that in our hearts and in our minds, because Christ Jesus was put on the tree, and he was put there as the greatest gift that God could ever give to mankind and to the world. That is the gift that brings us salvation. That's why Paul could write, By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. We can't earn a gift. A gift is given to you. We can't earn the gift. We receive it as given to us from God. So God gives us salvation by his grace, by faith, not from any works of our own, but by our faith we are saved through Jesus Christ on the cross. And that's his message. And you see that cross truly, the real tree of Christmas is the tree that is the cross. There's a real tree, and it's, and it's the message of Jesus. So that indescribable, inexpressible tree of God. It's a, it's a difficult thing for man to receive that one man could die for the sins of the world. But not just an ordinary man, not just any man. No man ever born could have achieved that. The only one qualified was the sinless son of God, born of a virgin because he was born sinless. And an unblemished lamb in the economy of God was placed on the altar of the cross, the tree of everlasting life. All the way back to the book of Genesis, the tree of life was right beside the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And when we choose that tree, the Savior who makes that tree a reality, sin made the good and evil reality, Jesus made the tree of life a reality, and this tree, this cross, is the one thing that designates, defines, and clearly enunciates who Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, really is. The 
Savior of the world and the Savior of all who will believe, everyone who will put faith in Him. And I know there are people who say that, that, and the world says this, this cannot possibly be true. There's no way that what you're saying, Pastor, can be a reality. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't conform to our logic. It doesn't meet the test of reason. It cannot be so. But I'm going to tell you that God said that would happen. He said that the philosophy of the world would be in contradiction to his word. He said that the philosophy of the world will not accept this message of the cross. It makes no sense to the human mind. And yet the Bible proclaims it to be true. It proclaims it to be absolutely true. It proclaims it to be perfectly true. It claims it to be forever true. And everlasting this message stands. And you have been saved. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been saved by His shed blood on the cross and by your faith in the truth of God and His Son. That brings us to Him. And when we believe God's Word, that's what it's all about. The real tree of Christmas and the real tree of all of the year, every month and every day of the year, the real tree of all of that is the cross. We sing about it. We proclaim it. We say it always. You wear a little cross around your neck. It's not just an adornment. It's not just a piece of jewelry. It's not just something for us to think about casually. As time passes by, it is something for us to recognize every day. Because Jesus died on the cross, there's a way of salvation for you. There's a way of forgiveness for you. There's a way of victory for you. And an assurance, an absolute assurance and guarantee of eternal life. That's the final gift of God that comes to us through Jesus Christ and through the cross of Calvary. The gift of eternal life. So that the thief... Dying on his tree, knew that he was lost. And he turned to Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus the man, Jesus the Son of God, Jesus the Lord of glory, right there on that cross. And he said to him, For all of us, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus gave him the answer that all of us long to hear, and all of us will hear. We petitioned as the dying thief did. We'll hear the same answer he did. Jesus said to him, you will be with me in paradise. When you leave this life, in the thief's case, it was that very day. When you leave this life, you will be with me in the paradise I prepared for you. I believe that's true. As foolish as the world may say that I am, I don't care. As ignorant as the world may say I am, I don't care. When the world says that to me, I'm not going to put up my college degrees to say, this can't be so, look at what I've done. It doesn't matter that I have three degrees. It doesn't matter that I, have, that I went to graduate school and got a graduate degree. I'm not going to put up and the world says, what you're saying can't be true. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do what Paul did. I'm going to decide that I will know nothing in this world as far as eternity is concerned except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It isn't what I need to say. It's what God's Word says. And if I were to say contrary, as the Apostle Paul said, though men come, no matter who they are, and preach any other gospel to you, let he who preaches any other gospel than the one that I've declared to you be accursed. Because the only thing that is true in this world that's everlasting and eternal and cannot be changed is that Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world and everyone who believes
accepts God's gift so that we learn the truth of God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. And that's the message of the real Christmas tree. That's the message of the gospel. And it's the only message that will take us from this earth to heaven for eternity. It's the only message that will do that. Please bow your heads with me in prayer. Lord, we celebrate this time. We celebrate this time not just as the birth of a baby, but as a plan of redemption, as a plan of salvation, as a plan of eternity. And we thank you for that, Lord, being the truth of your word and the truth in the power of your Holy Spirit. While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, please, I want to ask you if there's anyone around this congregation this morning from side to side and front to back, any one of you who knows that you do not have Jesus as the Savior of your life, and you want prayer that you may know him, I'm not going to embarrass you in any way, I promise you. If you want to know Jesus as your Savior, you want prayer that you come to know Him, that's the very first little tiny step towards it. If you'll say that you want prayer for that, to know Jesus as your Savior, I'm going to give you a chance right now so that we can pray for you. Will you just lift your hand? Nobody's going to come to you. Nobody's going to embarrass you. Will you just lift your hand for prayer and say, yes, I know that I do need the Savior in my life, and I want you to pray for me. Just that simple, just that plain. Heads are bowed. It's a confidential thing for you to be able to do. If you bite, if you raise your hand, I see I see that. God bless you. Anybody else want to raise your hand? Anybody else? I'm going to ask you to stand with me right now, please. Everybody stand.